Here we go. Welcome to the Transform with Travel podcast, where we share stories of personal transformation and life lessons through our experiences of traveling and exploring the world. Travel is the ultimate accelerator for personal growth, and it can be the root catalyst for the pivots and plot twists we make in our lives. I'm your host, Kelly Tolliday, and it's my mission to inspire you to live life to its fullest, travel with an open mind and heart, and let the world show you a new perspective. I'm so grateful you're here with us today, so let's dive right in. Happy exploring. Welcome to the Transform with Travel podcast. I have Emily Calvo here. Emily and I have been connected for a few years now. I think we followed each other on Instagram and I was like, hey, what you're doing is really aligned with (laughs) what I'm doing just in different modalities. And we met up at a local coffee shop and talked for a few hours. And I was like, I really like what you're doing in the community, Mm -hmm. especially for mothers and for parents. So I'm really happy to have you here today. Thank you. I will let the audience know all about you. So we have Emily Calvo here. She's a licensed clinical mental health counselor and a certified perinatal mental health provider. She was born and raised in Venezuela, but she's lived in the United States for over 15 years now, helping couples, parents, and moms navigate life transitions during pregnancy and parenthood. That's your specialty and your passion, which is why we originally got so connected in the first place because I was really heavily working in the women's health space at Mm -hmm. the time. And while pregnancy, childbirth, and parenting bring significant change, stress, and worry to life, her goal as a therapist is to show you that these experiences aren't entirely negative. They can also be beautiful and exciting. She's here to help you through all the ups and downs. In addition to Emily's work, she's also an adventurer at heart. She loves traveling and learning about other cultures, and she believes that understanding and accepting different ways of life is essential to creating a balanced and positive outlook on life. So welcome. Thank Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. So happy to have you here and share your background. I'd love for you to just talk a little bit about your background. Briefly in the backstage before we started recording, you were talking about how you moved here 15 years ago from Venezuela. I'd love Mm -hmm. for you to share what that journey was like. Yeah, so I think I think my journey started way, you know, over 15 years ago. I visited the United States when I was only 10 for the first time, and I remember my mom was brave enough to let me fly on my own at 10 years old to get to my aunt's house in Florida. And that was the very first adventure I did, like on my own, very independently at only 10. I felt very empowered going to a new country on my own. And when I got here... I loved everything. As soon as I walked out of the airport, I kind of made up my mind that this was where I belonged. And when I went back home after that, you know, couple of months being here, I told everyone, you know, my first job is going to be paid in dollars because I'm going to live in the United States. Yeah. <laughs> so that I think that started in there. So then after that, a couple of years later, I came, I came back for vacation. And then after graduating high school, uh, that's when I decided to move to the United States and start my college career at 18, I think, or almost 18. And I did um, arrived to Tennessee, stayed there for the four years of college, and then I moved to Florida, and here I am. <laughs> Amazing. I love that. And that transition from Venezuela to Tennessee, in which you mentioned you were in Memphis, which uh-huh. is vastly different from the geography, the culture, oh, yeah. <laughs> where you were in Venezuela— uh, can you talk a little bit about like did it feel like what did it feel like for you to have gone to such a drastically different yeah, place? Yes, so that that's interesting because I I hadn't been to Memphis before before I actually went and lived there. So it was a total new experience for me. I was very young, so you know with being young comes being very adaptable. Mm. So I was 
I had a good transition. I was with family as well, so that helped a lot. Family who spoke my same language, who knew mm. the same traditions, that kind of made it easier in that sense. It was hard to start making friends, but I started in an English program with a lot of people from different backgrounds, cultures, and countries going through a similar transition. Mm. And I think that made a great impact too, because there were people on pretty much the same page as I was, adapting to the language, the culture, the city, the country. So I think that that was very meaningful to me in that time and during that transition. And then after years went by and I started regular college, you know, it was hard to, you know, be blended with the culture, with the American culture, Mm -hmm. understanding the traditions. I tried to participate as much as I could. I even joined a sorority. Would you ever (laughs) imagine that? Oh, my gosh. (laughs) I even joined a sorority at the time just to try to blend in and to, you know, be part of it and understand it all. And it was still hard, had all all of its challenges. Uh, But it worked out. You know, I I made good friends, long-lasting friends Mm -hmm. there. And I knew, I think, uh, by year two or so, living in Memphis, that that was not going to be the city where I would stay, you know, for for the rest of my life or for longer period of time. I still don't know if Florida is going to be the place, but I knew for a fact that I was not going to stay in Tennessee. So I made the plans ahead. I kind of, you know, realized that I could finish college there and then made a plan to move forward, whether it's starting my career or going for graduate school Mm -hmm. at a different place. So I started browsing and I kind of, the weather played a big role to me. I come from a tropical country, so I decided that Florida was going to be a good option for me. And that's when I you know, looked up the information, the, the universities and the programs to continue on with my master's degree here. Amazing. I, I love that. You're like, I want to go somewhere warm. Yeah, yeah <laughs> I'm done that was the, the main thing. The winter is <laughs> not, not for me. Because Tennessee is so cold. Like, you, I mean, coming from Florida, I don't know much about other states' climate. Mm-hmm. But Tennessee and like the Midwest area is the south. Uh, you'd think like it's in the south-ish and mm-hmm. it is It is very cold. I I went through, you know, snowstorms. I went through tornadoes. It was very new for me. You're like, I'm done. I'm out. I'd rather take the hurricanes over the tornadoes. Yeah, I feel the same way. At least you have a little bit of warning beforehand. Right, right. Hearing your story, it sounds like that community aspect of having people who are going through something similar when you first moved here, having people who are kind of all going through the same thing of assimilation and culture shock and learning the language, that seemed like it was a really important part of your process. And it seems like to me, the work that you're doing in helping parents and couples through massive transitions in their life. What I see on Instagram that you share is really showing people like you've got a community of people going through the same thing and and you're not alone. And I feel like that seems to be a little bit of a common thread of what you share is how important that community of knowing that people are going through something similar as you. Right, exactly like that. And I think a big part of it is, you know, focusing on what people don't tend to talk about, you know? Mm. People picture this idea, at least outside of the United States, that, you know, you go to the United States and everything is so fun and so easy and, you know, you're successful and you start making money right away. This idea of the American dream from the outside is very different than what you face when you're here and when you're starting to build a life in here. And same thing happens with with parenting, you know? You hear all these beautiful things. You're gonna be a, you're gonna be parents, you're gonna have this child, you're gonna live a beautiful life. And while that might be true, there's a lot of things that we're living outside of it that are realities and people don't talk about it. You know, mm-hmm. the transition of 
becoming parents after being partners, what happens there? Nobody talks about that. Yeah. So that's something that I can see the analogy to. Yeah, and you do such a good job on your Instagram of very beautifully highlighting the hard things without it being like, this is bad. Like you show that you're not alone, that these are these are very common feelings that parents feel, and you make it seem hopeful rather than like a doomsday, like everything's going to be ruined forever. Oh, <laughs> you so make glad it, that you really do. That message. Yes, I definitely get the feeling of hope. So, can you explain a little bit of how you got into wanting to work with people and helping them as a therapist, and then specifically getting into the pregnancy and postpartum and parenthood therapy? Yeah. So the, I think to start from the very beginning with the field of psychology itself. I started off as a pre-med student in, in college in Memphis, and I, went, I wanted to be a doctor. That was like the main goal for me. And I faced my own challenges in the process. So with pre-med being a very challenging career or college, you know, with the very tough classes and all that, um, I experienced my own frustrations academically, um, having a background of a lot of academic success and, you know, never getting anything below a B mm. and then facing with the reality of very tough science classes that I could not pass. You know, I'm not talking about a C, I'm talking about an F. Yeah. So being very honest, very open here, facing that for me was a very difficult, very difficult. It was a, a life experience that took me in the path of seeking my own therapy, working through the fears, the frustration, you know, working through that perfectionism mm. or of wanting to achieve this and not having the flexibility of doing anything else. So I went through that journey on my own, very difficult part of my college career, got out of it successfully, thank, you know, thankfully went, went through that. And I decided that through that journey that psychology meant a lot to me, you know, psychology saved my life at the time. So I decided to look more into it, took a few classes and it kind of, you know, meant a lot to me career-wise and uh, aligned with my values pretty well. And I decided to, you know, go in that, in that route with the field of psychology and started ma majoring in psychology without knowing what I really wanted to do. I went into the world of research as well mm. to see if that's where I wanted to work. Um, did that for a couple of years. And then I graduated, was still with not much of an idea of what I wanted to do, came to Florida, looked at the options for master's degree, and realized that mental health, you know, clinical mental health counseling sounded like a good fit for what I wanted as a person uh, for what I aligned with my own values and my own goals career-wise. Mm. So I took on, you know, my path on that field, yeah. um, graduated with my master's degree, started working in the community out there. I would go to people's homes, to schools, you know, driving South Florida everywhere all day long. That's how I started in the field, decided that was not for me, that I'd rather be in one place and help more people because time, you know, yeah. you Instead of driving hours. around South Florida, which can take hours of your day. Right. And working for, you know, in community mental health is not fair in a way. It doesn't align with my own values. Mm -hmm. You start seeing people as numbers because the system requires that. So I decided that was not for me. That's when I started to look more, worked in a private practice and learned about it and then created my own practice. In the interim of that, in the, in the in that process, I had two kids. Yep. Right. So that brought me into the my own journey of motherhood. You know, my own journey of going from being husband and wife to being mom and dad, and adapting to all of those changes. And that led me to the path of, you know, specializing in something that I could not find for me. Mm. Right. 
facing all the struggles of the transitions and trying to find that mental health help to transition, to, to go through, that, through those transitions in a healthy way and not finding it, you know, meeting with providers that would not fulfill the needs that I had postpartum or, you know, understand the struggles that I was having in my relationship because of parenting. It was not because of infidelity or communication issues only. It was a lot about that transition of, you know, you're not only my husband anymore, you're also the dad of my kids. Mm -hmm. So I started to think, you know, this is an area that it's hard to find, that it's hard to get the support where you need it, and decided to create my own practice, for, yeah. which is what I'm doing now. This episode is brought to you by Child & Company. Child & Company is South Florida's first family-friendly office space featuring private offices, a professional content creation studio, and childcare for hybrid work and work-from-home parents located in Boca Raton. Child & Company is founded on the belief that you shouldn't have to choose between raising a family and being career-driven. Their core mission is to create an environment where family and work can exist in harmony. The best part to me as a mom is that you can pop in and breastfeed your baby or have lunch with your toddler if you like and then pop back into your office for your Zoom meeting, which I think is so key, especially for newborn moms going back to work. It's the perfect transition from emerging out of the newborn bubble and getting back to the business you love. Child & Company provides you the flexibility to work in a beautifully designed, ergonomic private office with insanely good Wi-Fi connection and soundproofing while just being steps away from your child. They have monthly themes that they base their lessons on, like exploring the animals of the Amazon, which I obviously love when children get opportunities to learn more about the world and build a sense of curiosity. Child & Company offers weekly and monthly classes and events, like some beanie, music class for babies, mindful cooking for toddlers, big kid yoga, and mindful mama community events, and so much more. I've been a member since February 2023, utilizing their private offices and their professional content creation studio. Child & Company is where all of the magic happens for this podcast. Their beautiful recording studio is soundproofed with state-of-the-art equipment, microphones, lighting, and cameras. So you can record your podcast, course content, meditation clips, and anything else you might want to record for your business. The Child & Company team truly feels like family. They are an extension of my team over here at Rising Nature Retreats and the Transform with Travel podcast, as well as an extension of my own family. If you're local to Palm Beach and Broward County, do yourself a favor and check out Child & Company. Visit www.childandcompany.com or head over to Instagram at Child & Company. Yeah, and it's it's so amazing. I think that couple transition is definitely something that, oh, yeah. that is so, like you said, not talked about enough. And it is, you are the foundation of the family, whether you're the primary caregiver or a single caregiver or with a partner, you have to be the rock of the family mm -hmm. as an entity, as a couple, or perhaps on your own. And that mental health piece is so important. And like you said, this is, I, I can't speak to healthcare around the country, but at least in South Florida, even going to a holistic midwife myself at my six week appointment, they're like, are you, are you good? I'm like, uh, I, I think so. I, I, mm -hmm. I cry a lot, <laughs> but I think I'm good. Okay. Yeah. Okay. We'll see you next year for, for your next checkup. I'm right. like, what, right. <laughs> what do you mean? So having someone ahead of time, we spoke about this a lot, like 
meeting with someone like yourself who specializes in perinatal mental health, meeting with them before you have the baby, doing Mm -hmm. like a baseline check before the baby. And then that way, you know, what's the, what's the baseline before you even have your child and you have someone on speed dial. So you're not trying to research mental health therapists while you're in the throes of depression or anxiety and having someone like you in in their back pocket Mm -hmm. is so important. Mm -hmm. And so you talked about having your children during that process. Mm -hmm. I'd love for you to share a little bit about what that was like for you as someone who loves to travel so much. You're a self-proclaimed adventurer. You've lived all over the country. You lived in different different countries Mm -hmm. now. Mm -hmm. What that's been like for you to share the world with them and how you found observing them in that state and observing yourself, you and your husband in those states of travel, which can be a little tense sometimes mm-hmm. to say the least like what what is the meaning of travel for you I guess in that sense for your family Oof, that's that's such a good question and I think there's so much that goes into it when you have little kids right my kids are four uh, are five and, and two now and it took a while for us to be able to you know get to the mindset of let's travel around with them because you know if you know that even going to a playground it's mm-hmm. a whole logistic of you know what to pack, what to do, what to so it was. It took us time. You know, we used to travel together um, a lot while we were just a couple. Mm. It was a lot easier, even though it required its planning and you know its preparation. But when you add two more kids to the equation, where they are a hundred percent dependable on you to stay to survive, yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's a whole different game, right? So we. We started this process of traveling with them with the help and support of extended family. Oh. That's how we kind of took the first risk of going overseas. That's a great um, idea. That's a great idea. It comes with its own set of challenges too. Yes. Because it's not easy to travel with more people than your own circle. Different needs, different wants, different rhythms, especially when you have extended family members who are not, you know, taking care of little kids, Mm. right? They're not on the same page. So we had to navigate that as a whole new set of challenges, right? With the support, grateful for the support, for the extra hands and the extra um, eyes, but also being very aware of the boundaries, you know, where to set the limits, how to communicate our needs as parents, how to communicate mm-hmm. what's important to our kids because we are their voice too, and how to make be able to keep the harmony in the whole process with everyone so it's enjoyable for everyone. So it's it's a very tricky process I think for parents and it depends on each you know what you value and how you how you see travel as mm. parents too, right? For us it was personally it was you know it is it still is personally hard to travel on our own and I think we're we're going to be touching on that a little bit later but as a couple getting away from the kids is still a little bit tricky for us and a lot of anxiety provoking a lot of planning around that so that's a whole other set of challenges as well. Yeah, I mean we can dive into that if you want. Like I like I get a lot of questions from parents cuz I travel a lot for work and for not just one night, I'm gone for five nights, six nights. Mm-hmm. And although it's getting harder to leave because they're more aware that I'm leaving, I don't necessarily feel any guilt. I miss them, but I don't right. feel guilty and I think it's just a lot of the work that I do, a lot of the work that I coach women and moms around is dropping guilt. Mm-hmm. So I don't I I don't necessarily feel that 
anxiety or that guilt leaving them because I know they're in really safe hands and and I feel really confident when I do leave them. I miss them so, so much, but I don't let it affect my trip. But a question I get a lot from moms is, I'm going away for the first time in three years. We're mm-hmm. going away for two nights. I'm freaking out. Like, how? Make t- please tell me that I'm not ruining my daughter forever by leaving her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Can you touch on that a little bit about that mom guilt, that parent guilt, that anxiety that we feel and that we're not ruining them. Right. <laughs> really. That's like the, the the combo that comes with motherhood that nobody tells you about, right? That guilt, the fear, you know, the extreme anxiety of traumatizing our children with whatever we decide to do for ourselves, whatever we decide to tell them or not tell them, the way we, you know, approach them or not approach them, we're always so fearful of traumatizing them for, for whatever we decide on doing. And I think that with traveling or going away, a lot of that comes along very silently because it's not spoken about mm. out there, right? So what happens with moms? We tend to think it's us, right? We don't know that everyone else is going through the same thing. We think it's like, what is wrong with, with me that I'm thinking this? Mm. Right? And that's for the lack of conversation out there, the lack of normalization that these feelings are common, right? They're, they come with motherhood, right? You love this person so much, you keeping, you're keeping them alive every day, that going away feels like you're failing them or ab- abandoning them, yeah. depending even though, you know, even on your own wounds from childhood. So there's a lot into it that can come along and play a role in there. But like you're saying, I think it's very important to acknowledge the feelings and say, you know, I'm feeling this rather than I don't want to feel this and paying attention to that inner script that we tell ourselves in situations like this, Mm. right? That can be so, so powerful in the way we approach things, in the way we communicate to them that we're traveling, that we're going to be away, right? The way that we feel, even though they don't understand per se about emotions, they will feel too. So it's very important to be very aware of that and acknowledge it. You know, I'm feeling guilty. I'm feeling sad. I'm going to miss you. Mm. And it's okay. I think that's really powerful because oftentimes you get even like on a date night, people go, just leave so they don't see me. I'm just going to leave and then they won't see me. And from what I'm reading, I'm not a clinical (laughs) mental health counselor. But from what I'm reading is it's actually better to be more upfront. And so mm-hmm. on these past trips that I've taken, I've my youngest baby, she doesn't quite, she, I mean, she's she's only 10 months or 11 mm-hmm. months at the time. But I went to my oldest, Layla, who's three, and I said, I'm going away to work. I'm going to miss you so, so, so much, and I will call you. And I uh, today is Friday. She knows the days of the week. It's like, today is Friday, tomorrow's Saturday, Sunday, Monday, mm-hmm. Tuesday. I'll be back Wednesday. And like every day I tell her, today's Saturday, and I go through the days of the week, and she understands, and I say, I'm going for work, and I'm going to miss you so, so much. And I try to just be as open as I can. And so I think that's a really good point for parents to take is have an open dialogue with your kids. Don't try to hide from your own feelings by dismissing it from them and let them know that you're going away. And can you, from your own experience and from your own education of what you've learned, is it actually feeling like abandonment for the children when they go away for multiple days at a time? Or what's actually going on in their little brains when you do leave for work or for pleasure or whatever it is? Right. So I think it's a, it's an important thing to bring up the, the, the name of abandonment, right? That's a very deep, you mm-hmm. know, hurtful thing 
that we can experience as humans. And when we feel that they might feel that, that says more, more about what we are going through, what we are experiencing or what we've experienced in the past than what they, what they might be going through in the moment, right? So it's important for us to draw the line and make that difference. You know, I feel they will feel abandoned, but what is this telling me right now, mm. right? Is to me, deep down, going away equal to abandoning someone, right? And reflecting on your inner experience in what you're going through, right? Make it more about what you're going through than guessing exactly what the other person is feeling or is going to feel because that's literally impossible, right? Right? They might be sad, but go ahead and ask them, right? Mommy's going to go away. What's going, what's going through your mind? Mm. Right? A toddler might tell you, oh, yeah, I'm not going to get my milk tonight because you're not going to be, right? They, it could be totally off of what you're thinking. So it's important to, you know, recognize that what you're trying to guess, what you're trying to assume that they're going through, it's you telling yourself that. Mm. It's not their reality. To know about their reality, what we have to do is get to their level and ask. Right. I love that. And what about like little baby babies who can't verbalize it to you? What would you say about leaving someone who's six months old or eight months old for one of the common things I get is the two parents, they haven't, the couple, they haven't gone away since the baby's been born. It could be six months. It could mm -hmm. be a year. Sometimes I hear even three years, but let's just for the sake, go to the baby. Right. It's their first time. The baby's seven months old. They haven't been away for one night in mm -hmm. seven months. Mm -hmm. And they're nervous that the baby's going to feel sad, abandoned, like all the feelings. I know we just talked about that word abandoned. Yeah. What would you say to a parent, that to, for, to a couple who's going away for the first time in seven or eight months, they're going away for a weekend together. What mm -hmm. would you say to them who are feeling nervous and anxious about that? So I think the, the very first step here is to validate those emotions, right? I, I hear that you're going through this, you know, through this struggle and it feels very uncomfortable, it feels, it feels very difficult, it makes you feel very sad and, you know, that's all valid and important. We don't want to get rid of those emotions because they're important, they're there. The problem becomes when we start pushing those emotions away. When we start telling ourselves we have to think positive, we have to think positive because this is not how we're supposed to feel, that's when the struggle becomes very exhausting, and that's just a big recipe for guilt too, mm. right? So it's important to acknowledge those feelings, accept them in a way without giving in into the feeling, but saying, you know, I'm feeling this way, I'm human, and that's okay. This is the first time I'm separating from my, from my baby, so it makes sense to feel this way, you know? I would be more concerned if you tell me, you know, I'm leaving my baby for the first time since they were born, and whew, I'm just ready and done and you know that's a little more concerning than feeling a little sad a little conflicted about that decision okay. so for very first thing is to validate start by validating your own emotions seek support in your partner they might feel the same way even though they might not communicate it the same way right mm -hmm. and acknowledge that that's the emotion and that that, that is completely okay and as far as the baby and making assumptions of that, it's important to recognize that it's us projecting our own fears and our, our own struggles into what we think the baby will experience. Right. right. It's important to recognize that so we can focus the, the attention into saying, you know, what am I teaching my baby with this experience? I'm teaching them that they're going to be okay. 
that they have other safe people around them, mm. right? But if we inundate our thoughts with the fears, with the fears of abandonment, with the sadness, we give no space for us to think about the, all the positive things that might be happening as a result. Right. And what would you say is the importance of couples going away for one night, for two nights on their own and having that time to connect with each other? Right. So imagine when you have a baby ever since, well, the hospital, I think, doesn't count as much because you have a lot of help. But day night, day one at home, right? The, the couple comes from being an emotionally connected couple to being a transactional dynamic. Mm. Do this, bring the bottle, change the diaper, do that, right? Oh, my God, that transactional, that word just really hit me there. That's so true. It is very transactional. So you go from communicating and connecting to just becoming a very transactional dynamic. And it doesn't stop for years to be like that. Because that's what babies, you know, require the logistics to do this, do that. It, it requires the couple to be very intentional to leave the transactions aside and to be able to connect. Think of a date night. You go on a date night with your husband, you're thinking, oh, that's awesome. We're taking time for ourselves. What do you guys talk about there? Right? The baby. <laughs> and what about the baby, right? Who's going to take them to school next next week? Right? Transaction, transaction, transaction. Mm. It's hard to stay away from that. Right? Wow. So when you go away, you travel, you plan this trip, you have a plan on, okay, we're going to visit this, we're going to do that, we're going to spend the day at the beach doing nothing. You have a plan to disconnect from that transactional dynamic and connect with your partner. So right. that's, that's the biggest gift you're giving to one another there. You don't have the baby nearby, so it's hard to fall into the transactional for those few days because there's no reason for it. Yeah. It's like you're giving yourself, yourself as an individual and also as a couple the space to just breathe and figure out, okay, what do I need? Maybe I need to go to yoga class in the morning and he wants to go scuba right. diving and we get a little bit of space together and then we get to come back together and just ask, what do you want to do? I just exactly. want to read in bed and just giving each other that space to, exactly. to breathe and become you and us again. Absolutely. And you recharge. You recharge as a couple. I like to tell my, my, to tell my couples to think about, you know, this emotional piggy bank. Just picture in your, in your mind a piggy bank and with that emotional piggy bank, you add coins on a daily basis, right? Those moments of connections will add coins. And you also withdraw. When you argue, when you fight, you're withdrawing. So that's unavoidable. You're going to fight. You're, gonna t you're going to argue. It's part, that's part of being a healthy relationship. That's okay. But how, how many coins do you want to have to be able to withdraw and still be safe, you know, and not mm. be in debt with your relationship? A trip like that, a going away like that, will add coins to that emotional bank account. G'day mates from the land down under. Just kidding, I'm right here in South Florida enjoying a true blue Aussie coffee, pastry, and meat pie at my absolute favorite cafe here in South Florida, Bites and Coffee. That's B-Y-T-E and coffee located in Lighthouse Point. Bite and Coffee is owned and managed by the absolute best couple from down under, Dan and Kat who moved to South Florida from Melbourne, Australia with the dream of bringing the incredible Aussie cafe culture to the States. 
As someone who's lived in Australia for five years, I surely do miss my Aussie flat white coffee, brekkie buns, and sausage rolls. But what I miss more is the sense of community when you step inside your favorite cafe. You know that feeling when you walk in and they already know your order and it's ready to go? Yeah, that kind of feeling. Bite and Coffee brings the good vibes, delicious food and coffee, and the true sense of family. I can bring my little girls for breakfast and know that they are welcomed. If you're living in South Florida or just visiting and passing by, I highly recommend heading over to Bite and Coffee and grabbing a coffee with your breakfast or lunch, or even checking out their incredible wine and beer selection with a delicious charcuterie board at night. It's the perfect spot for a catch up with a friend or a business meeting. As a special gift to listeners, when you order at Byte, be sure to mention Transform with Travel for 10% off your order. So go ahead and check it out. Byte and Coffee located in Lighthouse Point. Yeah. And I can almost imagine from like an intimacy level, when you're at home with the kids on a day-to-day basis, intimacy in whatever form it is for you and your your partner mm-hmm. can feel transactional because you're tired and there's this happening. And well, if I do the dishes, then maybe we could do this. Exactly. <laughs> you know, it can feel really transactional. But when you're on a trip, it's exciting. It's you not have a task. space, you have time. It's not, yes, exactly. So I think, and that's a really important piece as couples that doesn't get talked about very much is that decrease in intimacy and connection in that aspect that happens when you have kids. So giving yourself even just one night at a staycation in a hotel near your house, we're lucky because we're in South Florida. So Mm -hmm. a hotel near our house actually feels like a proper vacation, but even just a couple days to your, to yourself can bring, so like you said, adding so much value to your piggy bank. Yeah. I love that. And so you talked about the, the importance of unplugging as a couple Mm -hmm you like to talk a lot about unplugging as a family too and and being able to like go away as a family and going on a trip and disconnecting from all the the daily obligations can you talk a little bit about why you think it's so important for families to travel together we've talked about couples going away but now as the family as a whole why is it so important to kind of disconnect from our day-to-day life and the hustle and bustle and the school drop-off and pick-up and all that. Why is that important as a family to, to do that? Right. So similar to the transactional dynamic that happens with couples, as a family, we know that kids thrive in routine, right? That's very good for them. But at the same time, routine will send us into autopilot very easily, right? We get used to that. We've we feel, for many people, it feels like in peace. You're, you're in peace when you're in your routine. You have control over it, especially if people struggle with anxiety. The routine will give them that sense of control so things are in order. And kids, as a result, will feel that rhythm as well mm. and will benefit them. But at the same time, it can get into that sameness, in that rhythm of sameness and connection, you know, emotional connection between family members. It's more. It's tricky to, to find in that in that sense of setup, right? Think about their routine with kids in school. You wake up, make the lunches, take them to school, bring them back, extracurriculars, homework, bedtime, done. Right. Where's that space to sit down and laugh together and, and you know watch TV or or go around a city and walk and sit down and eat a snack on the you know a picnic style, which is very different to a routine. That typically tends to happen only when you are either in a break from school that you have to figure out things and ways to entertain your kids or when you go away with your family, Mm. right? When you go away, you know, let's say not a big trip to Europe, let's say, but something St. Petersburg or Naples, you're still within your own environment, but you are taking your kids and your family out of the house, out of the autopilot and the the transactional dynamic 
to a place where you can connect in different ways. Yeah, I really, I really feel that. Even when I just go to the beach with the girls, which doesn't happen very often because with young kids, going to the beach it's is a like whole, a heroic yeah. feat with all this stuff. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, sometimes I, I would just sit on the beach. We went this past weekend because my in-laws were in town, and and I just sat was sitting there and just looking at my daughter's face, and I was just like, you're so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Like, you're so funny. You're so all these things, but when you're – you wake up when you're at home and you wake up and then you've got breakfast, then you've got school There's and no it's time. the sameness. There's no time to slow down and really just look at the, in, like, just look at your children mm-hmm. and, and let them look at you and let them look at you having fun. Right. Which doesn't happen a lot right. <laughs> at home. I have to consistently remind myself at home, you are having fun. You mm-hmm. chose this life. Mm-hmm. You are having fun mm-hmm. because that monotony and that routine does get to you, especially as an adult. So I think, like you said, getting that time and that space for everyone to unplug from their routine, to have a slower morning, to right. have that picnic, to mm-hmm. whatever it is, play at a new playground is so important. And one thing that I get asked a lot from families is, what do you do about iPads and screen time when you're traveling? Because when you're on the plane, it's a great tool to yeah. use. It's a special <laughs> treat. But then you get to the place and they want the iPad the whole time or they come back home from their trip and then they want the screen time. What would you say to families who are kind of struggling with that setting boundaries for screen time Mm -hmm. as kids? So I think that when it comes to traveling with kids, something very important to keep in mind the whole time as you plan, as you go through it, and after you come back is flexibility. It becomes really hard when you set your expectations so high that you want that structure to be, you know, okay, we go on a trip, they use the iPad for one hour on the plane, then we take a break, and then we come back, and there's no iPad, absolutely no iPad. Like, you set yourself those set of expectations that nobody tells you that how that's how it's supposed to be. You set it for yourself, and then you try to stick to them to only face reality. Mm. Right. So it's very important to handle these things with flexibility and say, you know, we're going to work through this structure. We're going to prep them. Prep is key when it comes to kids and traveling. Right. So we talk ahead of time. We prep them for the trip and the way that we're going to use the devices and for this specific example. And then we prep them as the time to come back approaches during our trip on how things are going to start changing. So Mm. we transition them, right? So say they're using the iPad, for the sake of this example, for two hours daily while they're on vacation, which they typically, let's say, they don't, right? As you approach the day to return home, those last three days, last two days, depending on how long the trip is, is important to decrease in little increments the use of the iPad and remind them, you know, when we're going home, you're going to be able to play one game, not three. When we go home, you're going to reminders like that so that they're they're transitioning before the actual transition hits. Yeah, it's not like a hard stop. (laughs) Right. That's going to be a very difficult for everyone. For them to understand the change so drastically, it's very difficult developmentally, mm. right? And for adults to regulate the emotions when the kid's having a meltdown over the iPad and when you are exhausted from a trip is very difficult too. Yeah, you just give in because you're just exhausted or jet lagged perhaps. Right, yeah. and then you give in on the screen and the screen overstimulates them more. They're exhausted. So it's just very messy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Speaking of of tantrums and meltdowns and all of that, can you explain a little bit about what's going on in our little person's brain Mm -hmm. when they're traveling and, you know, these out of routine and when they do inevitably have a meltdown or whatever it looks like for each family, what's the best, 
I know it's, it's probably dependent on the child, but in your experience, what mm-hmm. are some of the best strategies in helping children to regulate their emotions when they are having a big meltdown in out, completely outside of their environment, like when they're traveling? Right. So I think it, it, as you said, it depends on the child. It depends on the age as well, mm-hmm. right? It depends on their specific needs. But the bottom of it goes to flexibility again, right? It's important to understand, for us as parents, to understand that we're taking our kids away from what's familiar to them, right? Away from their home. Sometimes we are way more relaxed with a meltdown in the house than at a restaurant, Mm -hmm. let alone in a plane or away, right? So that plays a role too. You might see a meltdown of five minutes at home, not like a big deal, but the same meltdown of five minutes in a restaurant will feel a lot more stressful. Yeah, like heightened because right. people looking at you. You have, you or, have that pressure, yeah. right? So it's important to be flexible <clears throat> Excuse me, when it comes to that because that's, that's them expressing how overwhelmed they are with the unfamiliar, mm. right? It's important to prep them like everything else, right? That this might, you know, th- this restaurant will be different. We're going to see different foods. We're going to def- see different people, get them books ahead of time so they're aware. So when the meltdown happens, you know how to approach it, right? You know how to talk to them through it, right? Mm. Is it the smell? Is it the food? How can I help you? How can I be here for you? without trying to stop the meltdown itself, but to empathize with the child. Mm-hmm. It's, I like to see it, you know, traveling with kids and the challenges that it brings with it, see it similar to when they start school. You know, when they go to school, they are bombarded with this information, lots of information, lots of input. They come home very tired and sensitive, you know, very easily triggered. They let all their feelings out at home. So very similar to traveling where they are getting all of these new stimuli, all of these different things that are unfamiliar to them, you know, from the food to the people to the culture to the environment. So that will really heighten their senses and overwhelm them a lot more quicker than being at home or being at the playground that they often visit or so on. So flexibility is key to this process. And it kind of sounds like the same skills or the same strategy of being flexible and understanding and empathizing could be returned back inwards when you get triggered as an adult. Because traveling in and of itself is stepping outside of your comfort zone or doing anything different than your routine. And so for a parent, when they start getting triggered, either by a meltdown or just a delayed flight, or I'm stuck in this bus for two hours with a screaming kid, what are some coping strategies for a parent that might be easily spiraling or might feel anxiety over traveling and it's even heightened more when you have children with you what would you say to someone like that right so you know how we when we when we travel we pack right we pack our clothes we pack our things we prep i don't know for for my husband and i like to create a list of things that we're going to need for each person so we have kind of that sense of control and that gives you an idea of what you need to bring right I think the same thing should apply to your mental health, Mm. right? So recognizing your triggers, even making a list, right, of what things could be triggering in this environment. So I have my my oldest is a picky eater. I know that's a big trigger for me. So I'm very mindful of when we travel that this might be an issue depending on where we're going, right? So if, if we're going to a place where chicken nuggets and fries is not common, that will be a stressor for me. I know it ahead of time, and I know how triggering that can be for me. So being aware of that and what are you going to do to cope with it 
it's very important. Just like you pack your bags, you create that toolbox of coping skills for those triggers that could happen, right? So be bringing on awareness of what the triggers might be, thinking yeah. of them ahead of time. And then whatever coping strategies work for you, like for some people it might be breathing in a certain technique or other people might be journaling or just taking some five minutes to themselves. I think that's so important. So my, my husband does not, he doesn't like feeling panicked around getting places late. And so we always have to get to the airport three hours <laughs> three and a half hours in mm -hmm. advance. And to me, I'm like, I really don't want to be in an airport with longer than we have to with the kids. But to him, if we're in a long line and we're cutting it relatively close, that's going to send him in a spiral. So it's like, okay. you know what? Okay. Our coping strategy is to just get there three and a half hours in advance and walk the airport. So the right. kids get tired. <laughs> right. Find a, find a, that's most a airports have cool parks inside yeah. or just find something. So I think that's a really good idea is writing out the things that you get anxious about and, but naming it out loud and not feeling like, oh, I am traveling. I should just be happy to go on this trip. Like it's okay to say, being, trying new foods makes me nervous. Being late to the airport makes me nervous. Being stuck in a meltdown in an airplane makes me nervous. Mm -hmm. Just writing it out there and then maybe coming up with two or three ways of helping yourself kind of calm down and, and regulate your emotions. Right, right. Because it's the uncertain what causes the anxiety. So not knowing what's going to happen and how you're going to deal with it, what really makes you anxious about what's coming Right. So having that idea already in place and having that that plan just in case gives you a sense of control that will help with that anxiety in the moment. Yeah. Right? So even though the, the meltdowns in the plane, those are stressful because people are going to look at you. But then you get at the bottom of it, you know, they're going to look at you. And then what? Yeah. Right? The meltdowns are the way that they're communicating. The kids are communicating their overstimulation, the noise. You know, the airplane sounds like a white noise machine that never stops. Yep. You know, their the ears. tightness, their ears hurt. Yeah. The, the space is tight. They cannot move. So the lack of movement, their senses are limited in that place. So it's understandable. So when you try to understand why it's happening, it also helps giving you that sense of control over the situation for you to be able to show up with your, to your child and be supportive and accompany mm. them as they go through it. You, you just mentioned their senses are limited. Yeah. And I know you're in collaboration with a pediatric OT really working on those sensory needs for kids. I was just thinking about how we were in Heathrow and we were stuck in Heathrow for an additional seven hours than we were supposed oh. to. And But they had in the terminal, they had this massive soft play playground. Wonderful. One for kids like five and up. So there was jumping and trampolines and How like smart. boxing things. Mm -hmm. And then they had a total soft play climbing gym for infants. And I was like, this is what kids it's need. genius, yes. So that they can feel like they can go upside down and spin around and hit something hard and get all those sensory needs out of the way. So I was just thinking maybe on a plane, if you have a small kid, like a two or three-year-old, you can just flip them upside down and let them hang for a little while and laugh and play because they need that upside-down orientation. Or that could be a really cool way Absolutely. to get some of those sensory needs out and make play part of the sitting down process. Yes, of and plane. even bring, you know, Play-Doh with you in the plane mm. so they can touch whatever engages their oh. senses. Play-Doh that smells different, right? That they can smell, they get their senses in, in work. Right? Or even crunchy foods. So they get that input as well from, from eating something crunchy. Right. All I love that. That's such a good... I've never put two and two together like that before. I'm so excited to yeah. use that. And even for yourself to like bring a little bit of that play. Like you take some of the Play-Doh and you con Absolutely. yourself through molding something. Right. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. I love that so much. So 
your son's a picky eater and you're going to new cultures. And that's, that, that is a struggle is when you have a picky eater going to new cultures with different foods. But so even though it's challenging for you, why is it still so important for you to expose your kids to new cultures? And like, what do you think is the, the reason, like, why is it important for not just us as adults, but for little kids mm -hmm. to get that exposure to different cultures? So I think travel and exposing yourself to different cultures and countries and places and, and uh, traditions, it's very empowering to us as human beings. You know, it's, I personally think it's the best way to grow as a person is to gather this information from the outside and be out as, outside of our comfort bubble, even if it means that my son might not be eating different things for two weeks, right? It's important to be a little uncomfortable to learn and to grasp you know, how people live out there, even to gain some appreciation about what we have. I think traveling can be an eye-opener for that, too. Uh, connecting with other cultures and realizing that we are humans, no matter where we are, we feel the same way about certain things, we can connect the same way about certain things. You know, you see a child falling on a playground the other side of the world and you see people's reaction is going to be very similar mm -hmm. to this child. So the empathy, you know, I, I think it brings a lot of hope, a lot of growth, a lot of gratitude to us uh, personally. You know, that's how it aligns with our values as a family and exposing my kids to that. I think it's such a powerful thing to do at the same time. Also teaching them, you know, whenever possible, what is it about that country that's important? What's the history behind that that's mm. important? I think that's also very beneficial to them as they grow. Even, even though they're little and people might think they're, they're not going to remember, they're not going to forget, it stays with them. Yeah, and that's like a common thing that I hear from travelers who take their kids all around the world. They say, look, they might not remember. They might not remember that trip to the museum or that cool park they went to or the hike that we did, but all of these experiences get instilled into them and they remember the stories. Like right. I, my parents tell stories of our travels when I was two or three years old and I feel like I can remember them. It's almost like I, I, I have this like, almost like a dream when you can't put the exact details or the faces together, but you have yeah. the feeling. The core memories there. I, I, I know that I remember it. I just can't, it's a little blurry, but it, because the, the stories that we've told over my lifetime or the when my parents tell stories of their travels when before we were born, mm -hmm. I feel like I was there because I've heard the story so many times and, and kids love stories. Right. They love to feel like they're part of the fabric of the family. Mm -hmm. And so bringing all those really cool core novel experiences into their lives help enrich their story of growing up. Right, and, and I think uh, for us as parents, I think it's very possible us to to make it very meaningful to them too. Like when you prep for a trip, you know how you as an adult, you look up a Google, like good places to visit somewhere, right? What's something fun to learn here? Then do the same for your kids. Find a book about that place. Like we went to Canada one time, we bought a book about Toronto and like read it a kid book so we read it to our kids oh, and cool. showed them like iconic things that are there read it a few times before we travel so when we're there we're like look just like in the book yeah so it becomes very magical like for them and be very meaningful to see what was in my book in my house it's here in front of my eyes yeah that's a really good point because some kids are also like homebodies. My oldest, she's, I say, do you want to go to dance class? No, I just want to go home. Do you want to go to the tennis? Pandemic babies. No, too. I just want to, there are pandemic babies. <laughs> I just want to go home. I want to go home. Even on a trip, we were in Greece. I want to go home. Mm -hmm. She just likes being home. And so I think that's a cool way of getting them excited about the trip 
And then when they're out seeing things, oh, remember that? That was in our book from home. Okay. You know, and just like helping them feel like they're part of the process rather than just along for the ride. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Like for my my son, we, my oldest, he's not into Disney characters. We went on a Disney cruise recently and I was like, I want to get him excited about this these characters because that's what he's going to see there. And I was like, I don't know what, how. So I got the autograph book. He likes collecting stuff. Oh. So I got the autograph and I, I told him, you're on a mission here. You need to find the characters and get the, the signature so you have a collection there. So that got him very pumped for that, and he was looking for the characters all the time. He could care less about Goofy or Pluto, yeah. but he liked having that. It's like that. the game. Right, yeah. Yeah, keeping that win. Yeah. For, as a memory. Yeah, that's so it's, cool. So it's a matter of how we frame it for them that could make it more meaningful as they prep and then as I, as I navigate that, and then it will really frame how they remember that trip. Mm. I, I think that's a really cool idea is finding what's going to work for your kids. Some exactly. kids want to have the souvenir and collect things. Some right. kids want to tick things off a list or, you know, they want to mm-hmm. read a book about it. I really, I, I've really enjoyed hearing all the tips. The, the very last thing I want to touch on is when this episode airs, it's going to be around the holiday time, which I know is a big okay. travel season for a lot of parents on top of the heightened stress of the holidays and gifts and family and out-of-town family and then travel on top of it. If you could give parents listening just one last piece of advice on how to navigate such an already heightened, semi-triggering time for some people, what would you say for them? So I like that you mentioned that it's semi-triggering. So triggers is very important to identify. And like I said before, flexibility plays a big role. But when it comes to holidays and family gathering and traveling, the main thing here to consider and to keep in mind and to work on is boundaries. Mm. How to establish healthy boundaries, see what your boundaries are, reinforce them, practice, read about it. For some people, it's very difficult to set boundaries, to communicate them effectively. So prep for that, right? There is enough time to read, to get informed, to get educated on how boundaries, healthy boundaries look like, what they mean to you, right? So if you're concerned, so look at your anxiety and your fears and your concerns regarding the holidays. What are you most worried about? And where is the need of a boundary there? Mm. Right? So if you're stressed about, you know, what family is going to say about me or my mothering or the way I parent my kids, if that's a concern, then where do we need to set a boundary there? Right. And especially when you're traveling for the holidays, let's say, and, and visiting family interstate or going to a different country or even just going as a little, as your own family unit somewhere, like you said, you could think about what's stressful or an anxiety for your family. So I could think for some of some friends as we're talking about traveling together is my in-laws, not my current in-laws, <laughs> but my friends' in-laws say, you know, they just give them sugar all day long because they don't see them very often. Right. And so now they're in a different state in a different routine and there's eating sugar all day. If that stresses you out, okay, where can we set the boundary around exactly. that? Or some in-laws will say, oh, just let them stay up late. Let them have fun. But if sleep is something that triggers you, like me, sleep is mm-hmm. hands down the most triggering thing mm-hmm. in, for my anxiety. Mm-hmm. You, Where's your boundary? It's setting the boundary of, no, this is what we do for exactly. our naps because that's what's best for our family. And I think that's really important just writing those things out and seeing right. and reaching out 
to a licensed mental health counselor if you need extra support. If you're like, I have no idea how to set boundaries or I don't even know what my triggers are, but I just feel anxious. Absolutely. Working with someone like yourself can help identify and come up with action plans in the process. Absolutely. I think that that learning about boundaries and learning to set them effectively takes time and takes practice. Mm. So as we we prep for the holidays, it's especially important to learn about that, to educate yourself about that, and to seek help if you do need it. You know, when it comes to travel anxiety, for example, or anxiety in general, there is this level of anxiety that you can cope with and you can identify things and do something about it on your own. And there is also this level of anxiety that is way above what you can do on your own. So it's important to be aware how intense that anxiety feels to you and consult. There's mm-hmm. nothing wrong with consulting with a doctor, with you know asking about medication, even if it's for the holidays, just so that you can cope with the high stress that it will bring to you, that you know that it will bring to you. there's nothing wrong into asking and and looking out for what you might need. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing all these amazing tips. I'm so excited for people to hear what you have to say, your advice, your personal stories. I think you do such a good job at blending all of your past experiences, your education, your clinical experience, your experience as a mother. And like I said, if anyone's listening, her Instagram at mindful seeds, I'll have it linked in the show notes, but it really is such a source of hope and also a source of, oh, that's, oh, I feel that way too. That's not weird. I'm not weird. You know, it's just like a way to not feel alone. And then you also give strategies. It's not just a sense of community. You also give strategies. So I always end these episodes with rapid fire questions about travel. So I'd love to hear your answers. Okay. (laughs) Okay. What's number one on your bucket list right now? Where do you want to go next? Oh, I want to go to Spain. Ooh. Yes. Beautiful. I've, Do you I've have never, a specific area or just anywhere in Spain? No, I've never been in that side of the of the country in Europe and that side. So I, I just want to explore, explore, learn the history, all of that in, in Spain and maybe around surrounding countries too. I've heard Spain is amazing with kids. I oh. have friends who've traveled Spain extensively through a van and they said it was it was so kid friendly. Oh, then even more now. Yeah. <laughs> Except that dinner starts at 10 p.m., so maybe not. <laughs> I'll prep. Yeah, right. It's the preparation. There you yeah. go. <laughs> All right. What's your biggest life lesson that you've learned through traveling? Hmm. I like that. I think the biggest one since traveling with kids, because that's where I learned the most is with my kids. It's that kids are resilient and adaptable. Mm. Despite all the fears and the stress and the anxiety, they adapt. You know, they, they go with the flow despite the challenges. We just have to be able to be with them when they need the support, but then watch them, you know, fly on their own when they're going through their own challenges outside of the world and outside of the country, their safe space. Amazing. And then if you could give one piece of advice to an inspiring explorer, what would you say? Be flexible. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's the main thing. You know, we set ourselves to certain expectations. Notice what the expectations are. Realize why that's important to you. How does it align to your values? If it does align to your values, and be flexible with the outcome too. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank Do you, you want to share where people can find you, where they connect with you online? Yeah, so my, my website is mindfulseatstherapy.com. They can find me through there. They can, if they want a consultation, they can book it through the website or they can also reach out through the Instagram at mindfulseats as well. Yes, and everyone, please go follow her on Instagram because <laughs> it's just a daily dose of, of inspiration. Thank so thank you. Thank you so much thank for joining. Thank you for having me. <laughs> 
Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Transform with Travel podcast. Don't forget to hit subscribe so you never miss an episode of inspiration, adventure, and exploration. If you felt inspired by this episode, please rate and review in whatever streaming app you're listening from. This allows us to spread the word even more and continue to serve up weekly doses of adventure. As always, we'd love if you could share the episode with someone in your life who you think will benefit from this conversation. Thanks so much for listening. This is your reminder to get out there and keep on exploring.